very good morning to my brethren and friends that have joined us for this morning's worship. Uh, this morning is a special Sunday, it's a Friendship Sunday, uh, once a month where we have uh, topics that might be of interest to our guests and to our friends. And we are so take, take, uh, thankful that you have taken time to be with us this morning, and uh, the friends that are with us, you have honoured us with your presence. This morning we are going to consider an important question. In fact, we are on a series of theme for our friendship... Sorry. Sorry, give me a second, I forget to share back my screen. So sorry about that. Okay, so uh, we are on a series of uh, theme of, about questions that Jesus asked. And this morning we are considering the question that our Lord asked in Matthew chapter 16, where he says, Who do men say that I, the son of man, am? And Jesus, of course, we know he's arguably the most well-known person on earth, but also the most polarizing. There are very different opinions of who Jesus is depending on whom you ask. In fact, today there are many books that have been written about Jesus, about his identity, and discussions about his identity have always proved divisive, today just as it was in times past. Consider when people preach about Jesus, even the time of the first century AD. We see that there are people with various opinions about him, and this caused disputes everywhere he was preached. For instance, in Philippi where he was preached, the Bible tells us that the preaching of Christ exceedingly troubled the city. People were confused about his identity. In Thessalonica, the preaching of Jesus turned the world upside down. Okay. And in Rome, uh, the Jews, they say that everywhere he is spoken against. So this is the character that we are going to be discussing this morning, the man Jesus. You know, but the, importantly, the issue is not about whether we can know Jesus' identity. Some people think that Jesus' identity is confusing, but that's not the case because Jesus plainly tells us in the scripture about who he is. But the problem is that many today cannot accept Jesus' identity because of the implications of what it means for us. Consider a passage in John chapter 8 where Jesus had a dialogue with the Jews. And Jesus says to them, Why do you not understand my speech even because you cannot hear my word? or rather because they refused to hear his word. And we'll consider further on, why is that so? In fact, Jesus told the Jews, You are of your father the devil, and the last of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So Jesus said that your father is not of God, it's of the devil. That's why you refuse to hear my voice. And Jesus says, because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So it's not that Jesus has never revealed himself. In fact, Jesus has revealed himself time and again in the scriptures. He revealed himself to different audiences. But the problem is that people refuse to believe him. And Jesus asked them further, which of you convict me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. He therefore hear them not, because... You are not of God. So the simple fact remains that today people reject Him because they are not of God. They do not want to accept Jesus because of the implications that it means for them. And so in this morning's lesson, we want to consider this very important question. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We'll be looking at three points this morning. First, let's consider the impression of His identity. 
what are people's opinions about him? Even the time when he was living, who do people think that he is? Next, we'll talk about the impeccability of his identity. We shall look at the perfect credentials that he has that support and prove who he says he is. And lastly, we'll talk about the implications of his identity. When we know who Jesus is, what is the response that we should make? What are the things that we should do in response to his word? Let's first consider our first point for this morning, the impression of his identity. Let's look with me to Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 to verse 14. If your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew 16. Uh, keep your hand there because we'll be looking at that passage most of the time. Matthew 16, verse 13 to verse 14. And here it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, Some say you are John the Baptist, some Elias, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So you see that when Jesus asked the question to his disciples, Again, there are very various opinions of who Jesus is. Let's consider each of these identities that people have put upon Jesus. Firstly, some people think that he is John the Baptist. They recognize that Jesus is a moral person, someone who is good, someone who is virtuous, just like John the Baptist is. In fact, we see that among those who believe that Jesus is John the Baptist is Herod himself. Herod was a very wicked king okay, who lived in sin, who was a corrupted king. And we see that John had the audacity, the moral uprightness to tell him about his sin. In fact, John was put into prison because he told Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your father's wife. Imagine saying that to a king, that you are living in sin, you are living in adultery. And so true enough, Herod threw him into prison and subsequently he was beheaded. But notice that even though Herod crossed swords with John, but Herod also knew the kind of man John was. In fact, in verse 20, it says that Herod feared John because he knew that John was a just man and a holy man. John's moral uprightness, his integrity, was not something that people did not know. People were well familiar with it. And so when people say that he believed that Jesus is John the Baptist, they thought that this was the man that was beheaded and raised again from the dead. They recognized that he was a righteous man. He was an upright man. And today, I think in the whole world today, everybody can agree that Jesus is a good man. I don't see anybody that says that Jesus is a devil. He's someone that is wicked. No one will say that because we look at his life, we look at history, we know that he is a good man. But the thing is that he is not only just a good person. Because if he's only just a good person, it will make him a deceiver. Let's consider why is that so. In fact, this was a dispute that was happening among the Jews at the time. They were arguing about his, his uh, identity. In John chapter 7, verse 12, you see that there was much murmuring among the people about him. And some say that Jesus is a good man. He does so many good for us. He feeds the poor. He helps the sick. He casts out those who are demon-possessed. But others say, no, no. He deceived the people. So if he's just a good person and nothing more than that, then that means he's a deceiver. Why is that so? Because consider what did Jesus claim about himself. In fact, Matthew chapter 27, verse 63, after Jesus died on the cross, remember, the, the, he was buried in a tomb. And the Jewish leaders were skeptical. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they didn't believe Jesus. So they say that, they go to Pilate and told him, Sir, remember that this deceiver said, when he was yet alive, after three days I will raise again. So the Jewish leaders say, let's secure the tomb as tightly as possible to prevent this lie 
from happening. But of course, we knew that despite their best efforts, they could not prevent Jesus from resurrecting from the dead. So Jesus could not be just only a good moral person. He cannot be just a man. Because if he's only just a man, he must be a deceiver. Because which man will tell people, say that I will rise from the dead? No one will believe that. Either his claims were true, or he's a deceiver. There can be no way about it. So today you can't just say Jesus is a good man only. A good man will not make such lies if that is not true. Either you accept his claim, or else you have to say that he is a deceiver. He is not a good person. On the other hand, some people believe that he is a powerful prophet. Some say that he is Elijah. Remember Elijah, the great prophet of God, who battled against the prophets of Baal, who sent down fire from heaven. This was a prophet who was powerful and mighty in the works that he did. And some people think that Jesus is a powerful prophet like Elijah. And they believe so because Elijah, you know that he didn't see them. In the Old Testament, read about how he was carried up in a whirlwind towards heaven. And people never saw him again. So after that, people thought that, oh, maybe this Elijah, he was carried up to heaven. Somehow, in this period of time, the first century, he was brought back down by God to come and serve in this era. Could that be so? So in Luke chapter 9, verse 8, some people say that, oh, Elias has appeared. Elijah has come back. He was taken to heaven. Now he has returned back to earth. Elijah was a man that is known for his power. And in fact, when when, uh, the angel of the Lord prophesied about the birth of John the Baptist, he said that John shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elijah was known as a powerful prophet of God. And so some people today believe that Jesus is a powerful prophet. In fact, some religions believe that Jesus is a prophet, but nothing more than a prophet. They say, yes, he's from God, but he's still a man. He's a prophet. He is not God, but he is a prophet. But again, we want to consider that Jesus cannot merely be just a prophet. If he's just a prophet, that will make him a sinner. Again, let's consider the discussion about his identity. In fact, the Pharisees say that this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. But Jesus broke their traditions about the Sabbath, but Jesus did not break God's law about the Sabbath. But other people say that how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. Again, we see that two polarizing views. Some people say Jesus is a powerful prophet. The other people say that no, he is a sinner. In fact, you notice that what did this man claim about himself? In John chapter 5, verse 18, you notice there were two reasons why the Jews wanted Jesus dead. First, of course, it is claimed that he broke the Sabbath. But the more important claim is that they accuse him of blasphemy. Because he said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So can Jesus be just only a prophet? It cannot be so. Because this is a man who had audacity to claim that he is from God. He claimed that he is God himself. He is equal with God. So if he's a prophet and nothing more than a prophet, how can he make such a claim? So today again, we cannot just say that Jesus is just a prophet. Nothing more than a prophet. Because if he's only a prophet, how can he make such claims? And more importantly, how would God endorse such a claim? God endorsed his claim with miracles. So we cannot just say Jesus is just a prophet. That will not do. Either you have to accept that this man is a sinner because he committed blasphemy by saying he is God when he's not God, or you must accept his claim that he is truly the Son of God. Thirdly, there are those who believe that Jesus is a talented teacher. Again, when you go back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 14, the people say that some say that he is John the Baptist, he is Elijah, some say that he is Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And of course, we know that the prophets, some of them perform miracles, 
and some of them were messengers of God to preach God's word. So some people believe that Jesus is just a talented teacher. He's just like Jeremiah or one of the prophets who came about to preach God's word to the people. Okay? In fact, when we look at Luke 9 verse 19, some people say that Jesus is one of the old prophets risen again. Okay? One of the prophets that was brought back from the dead to give testimony about God, to preach the word of God. And of course, we know that every prophet in the Old Testament, they make their mark. No matter what they preached, no matter how popular they were, no matter how unreceptive people were, they made their mark in history because their preaching of God's word helped them to know that there was a prophet of God among them. They preached with courage, they preached with boldness, they preached simply the word of God. These were talented teachers who preached only what God wanted to be said. Again, in the world today, there are many people who believe that Jesus is just a teacher. In fact, even unbelievers will accept that Jesus is a talented teacher. Look at his great his teachings, the Sermon of the Mount, one of the greatest lessons that people ever taught. The golden rule, even we use it today, the golden rule. You do to others what you want others to do unto you. We talk about terms such as going the second mile. It's taken from Matthew chapter 5. Turning the other cheek. Again, it's a teaching from Jesus. So we see that today, a lot of people think that Jesus is a teacher, but they say nothing more than a teacher. Once again, if we accept the claim that he's only a teacher, it will mean that he's either mad or he's possessed because of the claims that he made. Again, we see the dispute regarding his identity. In John chapter 10, verse 20 and verse 21, many of the people say that he has a devil, he is mad. Why do you hear him? Because of his preaching, because of what he claims, uh, he said this person is crazy, uh, or he has a devil in him, that's why he says all these kind of things that aren't so. But others who are more logical, who are more rational, they say, these are not the words of a man that the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Again, very logical. If he's just a person who is possessed, someone who is, who is uh, mad, how can he perform such miracles then? In fact, the Jews were angry with Jesus. They say that Jesus is possessed. Why? Because in John chapter 8, verse 52, they say, We know that you have a devil. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. This was a man who claimed that he can give eternal life to people. Okay. Can such a person be a talented teacher only? If he's just a teacher only, that will make him a very crazy man, isn't it so? Today someone comes to you and say that, you listen to me, ah, you'll get eternal life, you'll get riches, you'll get blessings. you say to the person, you're crazy. Ah. You're just saying only, how can you prove your claims? So once again, we cannot accept Jesus as only a talented teacher. No doubt he's a teacher, a good teacher, but he must be more than that. He claimed that he can give eternal life to people. If we accept that claim, we have to acknowledge that he is more than just a man. He's a, he's, he's a, we've mentioned about the three things that he is. We say that he's a prophet, he's a teacher, and he's a moral man. Of course, he's all of that, but much more than that. And this brings me to my next point, which is the impeccability of his identity. The word impeccability means the quality of being without error, without fault. It means being perfect. And let's consider the perfectness of this identity. Continue with me by looking at Matthew chapter 16, verse 15 to verse 17. Matthew 16, verse 15 to 17. So after Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? The more important, the more pertinent question, Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And this is something that each of us has to answer for ourselves. Who is Jesus to us? And verse 16, Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto you, by my Father which is in heaven. So who is Jesus? Well, Peter tells us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Okay. So we want to look at Jesus' claims. Could it be so of what he claims? Let's first look at Jesus' claim of him being the Son of Man. Because Jesus asked the question first, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So Jesus claims that he is the Son of Man. He identifies himself as a person, a human, okay, because he said, I'm the Son of Man. And that has reference to his humanity. Okay. And Hebrews chapter 2 tells us about Jesus coming in the form of man, God becoming man. Okay. Verse 14 of Hebrews 2 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he himself likewise also took part of the same. So Jesus became man just like us, to become like us, to serve us. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. In fact, in verse 16, it tells us that Jesus did not took on the nature of angels. Jesus did not come to this earth as an angel. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus came to live among men, to become a man just like us, to go through the temptations we go through, to suffer what we go through in life. Indeed, the Bible tells us that Jesus was perfectly human, 100% human when he came to this earth. Consider that physically, on the cross, he said, I thirsted. All of us have physical needs, physical desires. Jesus is not exempted from that. He suffered thirst, he suffered hunger, he can become tired. He was human in the aspect. We also have emotions, feelings. Uh. That's what makes us different from robots. Today, the world, uh, AI is a very big thing. Uh. But what makes us different from robots is that robots have no emotions. We have. And Jesus was very human in his emotional, emotion aspects. Okay. Consider at the tomb of uh, Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He cried. He wept bitterly over his friend who died. This was a man who was touched with a feeling of emotions, just like us. And intellectually, we see that the Bible tells us in Luke 2.52, he increased his wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. So he increased in wisdom. Okay? So this was a person who grew in every aspect, just as we human beings go through. So Jesus was 100% man when he came to this earth. And the term son of man is interesting, huh? Because it is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, the, the prophet of Daniel, prophet Daniel prophesied about him. He mentioned about the Son of Man. And he uh, mentioned about how Jesus will have all authority. In Daniel 7 verse 13, Daniel says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion, glory, kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. So the Bible tells us that Daniel had a vision. He saw the Son of Man being given all authority and all power. And this is the Son of Man that we are talking about, Jesus Christ. And so, it was important for Jesus to become a human. Why is that so? So that he can empathize with us, he can understand that what we go through in life. Today, when people tell you, say, I understand what you go through, the words sound hollow, right? Unless they have been through the same experience. Imagine you are going through grief, you lost a loved one. Someone say that, I understand what you are going through. Well, the person cannot understand unless he has been through the same thing. So, our Lord Jesus says that he understands what we go through. And that is true because he was human just like us. If he had never become a human, he says that, I understand what you go through. Well, we may say that we may be very skeptical. 
How can you know what is it like to go through pain, go through suffering, go through sorrow? How is it like that you can know what is go through temptation? You won't know because you have never become a human. But Jesus went through life as a man. And the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2.18, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. His words can encourage us, can give us strength, can give us comfort, because he used the same words to go through life on earth, to overcome his every challenge. So it's important for Jesus to be a human just like us, so that he can be able to help us in the afflictions we go through in life. Second identity of Jesus we want to talk about is him being the Christ. As Simon Peter confessed, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the word Christ actually just means anointed, the anointed of God. And the equivalent of the Christ is actually the Messiah. That's why in John chapter 1 verse 41, we see that Andrew called his brother Simon Peter and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So Christ, Messiah, both of them mean the same thing. It means anointed. And the Messiah is the Hebrew equivalent of Christ. And we see that, why is Jesus called the anointed? The Old Testament, there were three officers that were being anointed. Prophet, priest, and king. And the Bible tells us these are all descriptions of Jesus. In Luke 24 verse 19, it describes Jesus as a prophet who is mighty in word and deed. So he's indeed a prophet, performing miracles, bringing messages from God. A prophet in every sense of the word. The Bible also refers to him as a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice in order to mediate between us and God. He is the perfect high priest. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 15 tells us he is the king of kings, he is the lord of lords. So he has all these three officers that he holds. Prophet, priest and king. And that is why he is also called the anointed. And indeed, we see that Jesus being the Christ, being the anointed, is again a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Because once again, in Daniel's prophecy, we see the term Messiah being mentioned. Remember we said that the Messiah is the equivalent of Christ in the Old Testament. And Daniel talked about the 70 weeks, the timeline of Jesus coming and then his death. And here again, he mentioned about the Messiah who would come, how he would suffer for people, and then how he would be put onto the cross. Again, a, a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And it's important for him to be our high priest, okay? just as he was important for him to be a human. As a human, he's able to understand what we go through. But as our high priest, he's able to mediate between us and God. Consider how can we be a mediator? To be a mediator, we have to understand both sides of the party, right? You want to mediate a conflict, you cannot say, I just listen to one side. I know what the one side stands for, but I don't know what the other party talk about. I don't care, I want to just stand on this side. You can't be a neutral mediator. A mediator has to be someone who is neutral, who understands party A, who understands party B, and then bring them together to reconcile them. And because of this, Jesus is the only one qualified to be the mediator. First Timothy 2 verse 5 tells us that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He can be a mediator because we talk about how he is a perfect human. But the next point we will talk about him being God himself. Okay. And then, that's why he can be a mediator. Because he can be able to make intercession for us. He's able to come and bring us together with God. As Hebrews 7 verse 25 says, Therefore he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So this is a perfect mediator. He understands God. He understands human. He brings both parties together to help us to make reconciliation. 
And this is the Christ, the anointed, the priest of God. The third thing we'll talk about Jesus, we'll talk about Him being human. We'll talk about Him being the anointed of God. But now we'll talk about Him being God Himself. The perfect deity Himself. And once again, we see that Jesus claims to His divinity. In John chapter 10, verse 30, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. How do the Jews understand this statement when He says, I and my Father are one? Okay. The Jews actually take stones that wanted to stone Him. And Jesus asked them, which, for which good work do you want to stone me? And verse 33, the Jews answered saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy, because thou being a man, makest thyself God. So Jesus himself claims to be God. When he says that I and my father are one, he's saying we are equal. In the Jewish mind, when someone says that he's the son of somebody, they think of them being equivalent. Okay? Because the son carries the attributes of the father. So Jesus being a son of God means that he has the attributes of God. He is God Himself. And because of that, the Jews wanted to stone Him. And is there proof of Jesus being the Son of God? Well, in John chapter 5, He gives us four perfect testimonies about Jesus' deity. First, there is the human testimony. testimony the, the witnesses that bear witness of Him. For instance, John the Baptist was there to bear witness of Jesus. When he baptized Jesus, he saw the, 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 the Holy Spirit coming as a dove upon Him, and God saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He bear, bear testimony that this is the Son of God. Witness, human witness that have seen Jesus. People that have lived together with Him, the disciples okay, who saw His life, who saw His death, and Him coming back from the dead. They bear witness that He is the Son of God. So witness, there is no lack of them. Objective testimony, the miracles that He did, prove that He is the Son of God. In fact, Nicodemus acknowledged that. He says, your teacher comes from God, for no man can do this thing that you do, except... He come from God. Okay. How can Jesus perform miracles? How can He raise the dead? No one can do that unless He has power from God. Not just healing the sick. Huh? You consider the variety of miracles He did. Turning water into wine, into grape juice, walking on water. No human can ever do this. Huh? How can you defy gravity and walk on water? That is to prove that you have power from God to do these miracles. Third, we have the divine testimony. God Himself bear witness at the, at the baptism of Jesus. At the transfiguration of Jesus, he says, This is my beloved son, hear him. God himself gave testimony of Jesus. And lastly, of course, the Bible bears witness of Jesus. The written testimony that shows us what Jesus had done, the teachings that he gone through, the perfectness of him, the teachings that has no contradiction. Once again, all this proves to us that Jesus is divine. He is indeed God. Haji is 100% man, at the same time, he is 100% God as well. And of course, him being the son of God is again a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. In fact, it's interesting that in the book of Daniel, this was a pagan king who recognized that this man is like the son of God. Okay. You may remember when Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, they refused to bow before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. What did Nebuchadnezzar do? Throw them into the fiery, fiery furnace. Uh. In fact, the heat was so strong uh, that the people who were there to cast them in got consumed by the fire. That was how hot the fire was. And these three men were thrown into the fire. But they were unscathed. They were not hurt. In fact, Daniel 3.24, Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished. He was surprised. He said to his, he rose up in haste, he spake and said to his counsellors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? The answer is said to the king, True, O king. Three men were being cast into the fire. But now, he says, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire. They have no hurt. Very amazing, huh? Four people walking. 
without harm. But who was the fourth? He says the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So once again, Jesus being the Son of God is not no accident. He was a fulfillment of Old Testament scriptures of what he said about him. And again, it's important for Jesus to be God, just as it was important for him to be, to be human. Because being God, he has the perfect credentials to be our judge. In fact, Paul told Timothy that Jesus Christ will be the judge of the quick and the dead. The quick and the dead means the living and the dead, and his appearing and his kingdom. When Jesus comes again the second time on earth, the first time he came as a saviour, the second time he will come as a judge. And he will judge those who are living as well as those who are in the grave. And he has the perfect credential to do that because he is God himself. He was man, we mentioned about how he was a man, how he's a perfect high priest, and now we talk about his divinity being God himself. And so now the question is that now that we know Jesus as both man, as God, as the anointer of God, what does he mean for us? How should we respond to his identity? Let's consider the implications of his identity and what it means for us. Let's look at Matthew 16, verse 18 to verse 20. And after Peter made a great confession, Jesus said to him, that you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. What is this rock? Uh, some religions say that uh, the, the rock is Peter himself, but it cannot be so. Okay. The word pe Peter is from the Greek word Petros, which means a small stone. The word rock is Petra, which means a big rock. So it's not referring to Peter. But why is Jesus saying that upon this rock I will build my church? He's talking about the rock of Peter's confession, the unshakable truth that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. By that identity, he is going to build his church. And he says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto you, Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Let's consider some implications of his identity. Remember Jesus tell Peter, And I said to you that you are Peter, upon this rock I will build my church. So the first identity we are considering, the implication is that Christ is the head of the church. He is the one who says, I will build my church. Today, no one can claim to be the head. The church is not founded by any human founder. It is founded by Christ himself because Christ says, I will build my church. He is the head of the church, as Ephesians 5.23 tells us. And by being the head of the church, it also means that he is the most important part of the church. In fact, Ephesians 2.20 tells us that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. The modern equivalent will be the pillar. Right? You know the pillar is the most important part. If the pillar is down, the whole building collapses. So Jesus is the most important foundation. He is the chief cornerstone. And he cannot be taken over. He cannot be replaced. So today, Jesus is the head of the church. Because he says, I will build my church. But what does it mean for Jesus to be the head of the church? This also means that if he's the head, then we should only listen to him. We should obey no other man but our Lord Jesus Christ. Today, there are so many denominations in the world today. So many human leaders, they all want to teach their own teaching. Various denominations, everybody has their own teaching of what to do. In fact, you ask a simple question, how to be saved? Ask this simple question to many denominations. People give you different answers. Some people tell us, say, you believe only you are saved. Some people say, you say a prayer only, you are saved. But what did Jesus say? Jesus tells us that he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Today, people say, you believe, you don't need baptized, you are saved. Who do you want to listen to? The head of the church or some human who says that he is the head? Who do we want to listen to? Of course, we want to listen to 
God himself who gives us the answer of what to do to be saved. In fact, Jesus is the one who gave us the great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus commissioned us to baptize people, to make disciples of people. But yet today there are people who say, you don't need to be baptized to be saved. Do we want to listen to the head or to some other people who profess to be the head? And notice Jesus says that I will build my church. He's the head of the church. Notice not the churches, but the church. Singular, because Jesus says, I will build my church. This tells us that today there is only one church that is built by Christ. Whichever church that follows his teachings, the church in the Bible, that is the church that is built by Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, There is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. Notice there is one body. And why is this one body? <coughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22 to 23 tells us that the body is the church. Okay? And Christ is the head, the church is his body. And there is only one body. So this tells us that there is only one church that Jesus built. If you belong to a denomination that teaches differently from the Bible, that is not the church that Jesus built. Jesus built only one church, the church that subscribes and follows his teaching. And that is the church that we want to belong to. Second implication of his identity. After Jesus says that I will build my church, he says that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Okay. Uh, the King James uses the word hell, but the correct translation should be Hades. Uh. Hades meaning the place of the dead. So what Jesus is saying that death shall not prevail against the church. Of course, we know that eventually Jesus will have to die on the cross. But Jesus says that his death shall not cause the church to be stumbled. Because we know that after three days, he will rise again from the dead. In fact, him rising from the dead proves that he is the saviour of the world. Okay? In fact, Romans 4 verse 25 tells us about how Jesus was delivered for offences. He was raised for justification. In a nutshell, this is what the gospel is about. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And we obey the gospel through baptism. Jesus died on the cross, we died to sin. Jesus was buried in the grave, we are buried in the waters of baptism. Jesus was raised from the dead, a new person, we rise from the water of baptism as a new being. Our sins are being washed away. And that's what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, verse 3 to verse 5. So this tells us that Jesus' resurrection is very important because by his resurrection, he rise from the dead to save us from our sins. And Jesus, as a saviour, tells us that there is no other people that can be saved except through him. Today, we can't find salvation in any other religion, in any other human being. You look at all the religions of the world, their founders are still in the grave. Whereas Christianity is the only religion whereby our founder is not in the grave, but in heaven together with God. And that's why in Acts 4 verse 12, he said that there is no salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. We can only be saved through our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the Bible says, He is the Savior of the world. Okay. This means that He died for every single person. Okay. Today, there are some who believe that Jesus only saved an elect few. A few certain individuals. Some people always have the thought that I'm too sinful for God to save me. Well, what does the Bible say? Notice what John says in 1 John 2 verse 2. He Himself the sacrifice that atoned for our sins. So Jesus died for the apostles. But He says, not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Every single person, Jesus has the power to save them from their sins. His blood washes away the sins of the world if we obey Him in water baptism. So that is what it means for Him to be the Savior of the world. Anybody who desires the salvation can come to Him and receive this forgiveness of sins. 
And lastly, we want to understand that Jesus is the Lord of all. In verse uh, 19, Jesus told Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. And he says, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be born in heaven. Whatsoever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This verse on the surface reading, it seems that Peter is the one who made the decision. Uh, okay. But uh, unfortunately, the King James Version does not translate it very accurately. But the New American Standard Bible translates it more accurately. As, Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. It's not that Peter decides who to bow and then God follow him. Uh. Rather, it's the following what God has bound. So, whatsoever he bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatsoever he lose on earth shall have been loose in heaven. And it ties in with what Peter says. We ought to obey God rather than men. So, we don't follow Peter. It's not Peter who make the rules. But Peter is the one following God. What God has bound, he bound. What God has loose, he loose. And we see that in when he preached to Cornelius, God told him, you shall not call anything unclean or common. And that's what God gave to him. And then he followed it. <coughs> okay. So we see that Jesus, by this virtue of him having the authority, he is Lord of all. Okay. And him being Lord of all also means that he has all power. Remember when he resurrected from the dead, he gave the great commission. And he says, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Notice, all power. And in all realms, heaven and earth, all power belongs to him. He is God of all. And because he is God of all, then our lives belong to him. We belong to Him and we serve only Christ. We don't serve men, we don't serve idols. We serve only God. In fact, in Acts 27 verse 23, Paul says, That stood by me this night, the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. So Paul says he only served God. He served the God of heaven and earth. He served all Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and so, by virtue of Him being God of heaven and earth, okay, we see that He has authority over everything. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus is sovereign over every human being, not just Christians. There are some who believe that the Bible, uh, the teaching of the Bible, is only for Christians. Uh, Non-believers, they don't think that you are bound by it. But the Bible tells us that the Bible is bounding upon every single individual, Christian or not. In fact, we see that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. Under the earth means those that are dead. Uh. So the angelic hosts, angels, they are bound by the word of God. Those of us who are living are bound by the word of God, the authority of Jesus. Even those who are dead, they will be judged by the word of Jesus. So this is what it means for us. Him being Lord of all means that we have to subject our lives to Him. Today, if you are not a Christian, one day you will still have to face the judgment of God. And so in this morning lesson, we have discussed a very important question that Jesus posed. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? We have discussed about the impression of his identity. Some people think that Jesus is just a moral man, just a powerful prophet, or just a talented teacher. We see that we cannot give such patronizing answers about him. We cannot just say that he's just one of those, and nothing more than that. That will not do. Because either he is all of this, or he's worse. Okay? We see that because either he must be the Son of Man, the Christ, the Son of the Living God, or you have been the most deceitful liar and the craziest lunatic to make such a claim. No one will make such a claim unless that is true. But we see that he cannot be crazy. He cannot be someone who is a liar because his miracles and his teachings prove that his authority comes from God. And it shows that he is indeed the Christ, the head of the church, the saviour of the world, and the lord of every creature upon earth. Unlike many other religions in the world today, we see that the faith that we believe in, Christianity, is based on logic, is based on evidence, is based on reason. And in fact, the Bible is given to us 
so that it can pull down strongholds to cast every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Today, the Bible is able to help to prove against all the false ideas, the thoughts, the philosophies of the world, to help us, to convince us, to reason with us about the truth of God's word. In fact, Isaiah chapter 1 tells us, God says, come and let us reason together. God wants to reason, to show you what the Bible has to say about Him. If this is your first time visiting with us, we hope that you continue to come and visit with us, have studies with us, look at the evidences that provide the Bible about the truth of Christianity. But if you have been with us for some time, I'm sure that you already know what to do to be saved. If you have been confronted with the evidence of Jesus' authority, what will you do this day? Will you be like the majority of the world, knowing that what Jesus says about Him, but rejecting His claims? Or will you submit yourself to Him today and be baptized to wash away your sins? The plan of salvation is made very clear in the Bible of what we need to do. We have to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, to repent of our sins, to confess Jesus before men, and then to be baptized to wash away our sins. Subsequently, we have to live a faithful Christian life so that we can receive a crown of life when this life is over. So the brethren that we brought this morning, having known that our God, our Christ, our Lord is the Saviour and is the Lord Jesus Christ, will we henceforth live our lives for Him? Or will we live a life of selfishness, living for ourselves? I hope that this lesson will help us to be convicted about who our Lord Jesus is and that we can submit ourselves all in authority to His saving grace. Hark the gentle voice of Jesus fall tenderly upon your ear. Sweet his cry of love and pity call turn and listen, say and hear. He that labor and on heavy laden lead upon your dear Lord's breast. He that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Take his yoke, for he is meek and lowly, bear his burden to him turn. He who calleth is the master holy, he will teach if you will learn. Upon your dear Lord's breast, he that labor and are heavy laden, come and I will give you rest. Then his loving, tender voice, obeying, beg his yoke, his burden take. Find the yoke, his hand is on you laying. Light and easy for his sake. He that labor and are heavy laden lead upon your dear Lord's breast. He that labor and are heavy laden come and